Thanks, Anna. If you can keep your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 5. Um, we're finishing up the series um, in a couple, couple of weeks, and we've been going through. Um, we're coming to the final few weeks where he's summarizing lots of the themes that have been found throughout the book. Uh, but let's uh, open this up. Let's examine this, and let's, let's uh, pray that God will speak to us. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you are the truth. And we pray that only the truth of your word will be spoken here, and that only the truth of your word will be heard by your people. And we pray that that conviction of truth uh, will help us to live uh, in this world, overcoming uh, this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been in situations where you knew that you were right and everybody else was wrong? I mean, that happens to me a lot. Maybe it was you um, when you were little and you knew that, you know, three plus, uh, the, the answer to the math, math, math question was A and what everybody else was going B because you know basic math. Or when you know that, you know, Google Map is telling you to take a left and you know that it's right because you've been there many, many times and the right way to go is taking a right. Well, what helps you to navigate through life, through the tough decisions as we face this world, is the conviction of truth that we know what is truth. The uh, um, difference between being overwhelmed by this world and overcoming the world is the knowledge is in the knowledge of the truth. If we are rooted in the right truth, no matter how, long the, how, how strong the currents of the world, uh, worlds are, we can stand firm. We can view the world through lens of the truth that has been revealed to us. And I think it's that is what he's talking about in verse 4 when he speaks of faith. For everyone born of God overcomes the, uh, comes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, he says. We overcome the world. The victory is ours through faith, through the conviction that what we know is true. But before we go any further, let me uh, just say that John is not saying that all convictions are exactly the same, that all we need to, to navigate through this life is that we believe in something. And people say that these days, don't they? They say, I wish I had your faith. As if what matters is not the content of your faith, but that you believe in something. The movie Prince of Egypt, um, it's, a great, it, it's, a, it's a great movie, actually. Um, but there's that Mariah Carey. I, I'm not sure if it's Mariah Carey or Whitney Houston, but they're both great singers. But anyway, they, 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 they sing this song, There Can Be Miracle When You Believe. And it makes it sound, once again, it doesn't matter what you believe. There can be a miracle if you believe in something. It doesn't talk about the content of faith. What, doesn't talk about, what it doesn't talk about is that you can believe in utterly absurd things, and if you believe in utterly absurd things, nothing will happen. Um, that Moses could only part the Red Sea because he believed in Yahweh God. It does matter what we believe. It does matter the content of our faith. So no Christian should believe in Christianity because we think, uh, because Christianity makes us feel good or helps us to get through the difficulties of life or because it gives us moral grounding or simply because we like the people in the church. I mean, all those things could be the entry point to the church, entry point to searching into the truth. But what, uh, what must ground us is that we believe that this is true, that Christianity is true, that there is conviction that Jesus is the Son of God who, ro- uh, who died and rose again from the dead. 
If this is not true, then all that we believe and all that we do as a church is meaningless. It's meaningless. So John takes this largest part of this section, chapter 5, and devotes to explaining the content of our faith, explaining who Jesus is. So take a look at the last section, last paragraph uh, of, our, of our reading, verses 6 through 12. This is all about who we believe, the identity of Jesus. He writes there that he didn't come just by water only, but water and blood. Scholars are divided, actually, what this means, uh, over what this means. Uh, it's, it is slightly confusing, but I think it helps us to know um, what maybe he means if we think about why John is writing and who John is writing against. John is probably writing against a heretic called Serinthus, who believed that Jesus was a normal human being who became Christ, who became Son of God when the Spirit of God descended upon him at the baptism, at the water of his baptism. And he also believed that the, the Spirit left, left Jesus before his death on the cross. So here, when John talks about how he didn't come by just water only, but by water and blood, John is saying that it's true that Jesus was the Christ at the moment of his baptism, but he was also the Christ when he died on the cross, that he, became, uh, that, that he came by water and blood. What John really wants to say is that Jesus was the Son of God, really, truly Son of God all of his life, at the moment of his baptism as well as his death. And he says the Spirit, who is uniquely qualified as a witness, as a testifier, because he is the truth, he says in verse 8, Uh, 7, that he testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. And in verse 8, that all three are in agreement in this testimony, that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God. And he says, if you reject this, then you're making God a liar. God's testimony, uh, false. And if we think about why this is so important, I mean, he's told us this before, earlier in, 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 in his letter. He says, this is because it's so important to believe in this, because eternal life is at stake. Verse 11 And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. See, to reject God's testimony over Jesus is to reject his Son, Jesus. It's to reject him, not to have him in our life. It's to reject the eternal life that has been offered in his Son, and of course, partly Jesus is, um, John is talking about eternal life in the classic sense of the word, um, life after death here. For some of, us, uh, some of us, life after death seems like a faint and abstract ideas. Uh, if you're in your 20s, you probably never think about death. But I guarantee you that as you grow older, you will start thinking about death. As things happen in your life, you will start thinking about death. And that will, you'll see how that is so important because it gives us the right perspective over life. Um, I, I, I was given this clock uh, recently. I don't know if you can see it, but it's a wind-up uh, wind uh, wind clock. So you wind this up, and then it goes. There's a fish that sort of swims, and this thing turns. But anyway, um, I, I love this gift. I love gifts like this because um, it reminds me that life is like this. It will go on when it's wound up, but at some point, it will come, and this will stop. It will run for a while, but it will stop, and I ask myself, am I ready to, uh, am I ready for what happens uh, when this stops? 
when the, the, when the clock stops ticking? Do I have Christ? And it's so important that Jesus, this is the reason why Jesus is so, it's important that Jesus is God. Because only God could give us life. Only God could forgive sins. Only God could defeat death. Only God could bring us to himself. And that's what Jesus was. And this is what John is telling us in this chapter, that Jesus was God who became a man. And I remember realizing this amazing truth as a teenager. It's a longer, longer story, but I came to a point in my life where I thought, I don't need to fear death anymore. I thought to myself, well, even if I die, I'm going to live I wasn't afraid of dying anymore. And something curious happens when you realize this. Actually, it's not just the perspective over what happens after death. Your life in the present changes, doesn't it? When the fear of death is lifted up from us, I actually started to live differently. The quality of my life changed. I started to live more boldly. I started to live my life for Christ. I started to love Christ more for freeing me from the fear of death and for guaranteeing me salvation by utter grace alone. And that makes sense of why John puts verse 12 in the present tense, doesn't he? This life is not something that we will have only after we die. This is something that we possess today. He says in verse 12, He who has the Son has life in the present. We have life now in the present because of this knowledge. There's a change in life in the present, that abundance that God promised in John 10.10. And this will be fully revealed to us when Jesus comes back, but we can start enjoying it now in this world as well. But mostly, the quality of life changes because we become a people who overcome the world through faith in Christ. So, see verses 4 and 5. It says, For everyone born of God overcomes this world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. And then it should say, dash, our faith. That's how ESV translates it, and I think that makes a lot more sense. Um, who is that overcomes the world? Only the one who, believe that, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, what does it mean? to overcome the world. It means that we will face all the temptations and pressures of this world, but we won't give in. We won't give in to their lies. I remember what John warned us about the world in, uh, back in this, this book in chapter 2, 15 to 17. John said, Do not love the world or things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride and possessions is not from the Father but from the world. Desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes. The desires for things that we do not have. The desires for the material things in this world. They come from the world, he says. And he also said desires, uh, uh, the pride, um, in, in pride and possessions so desires of things that we do not have, but also for the pride of things that we do have already. They come from the world, he says. But when we turn to Christ in faith, we're no longer overwhelmed by these desires, he says, because we are born again. They're, not, they're no longer in the driver's seat because there is born in us another desire, a different desire, 
desire to be like God and desire to please God. And that's how we overcome the world, because there is in us a greater desire to, to please God and to be like him. You know, doing a baptism, I was doing a baptism class um, with somebody who told me that, that, uh, that she now wants to please God, that she now wants to live for him, that this is a new desire in her. And that's a sign that that person has been born again because there's a new desire that has been born in that person. So we overcome the world because we love Jesus more, because we love God more, and that desire is in the driving seat. But also, there is a change in perspective as well when we come to know Jesus as our Lord that allows us to not to give in to the world's temptations. You see, the key to overcoming the world is trusting that Jesus really is the one who overcame the world, that he is our king. This is why, why he says our faith overcomes the world. It's not us, really. It's faith and trust in the one who has overcome the world. If we are to overcome the world, we need to believe in the one who has done it already. We need to believe in the one that, that we need to believe that Jesus is king over this world and reigning even now, even if we don't see it clearly. And I think John is recalling um, what he wrote back in his gospel, John chapter sixteen thirty three, when Jesus stood at the time that he was getting uh, arrested. He says, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He said this. Um, um, he, he said this as he was going to die on the cross, as he was getting arrested to die on the cross. But that's how he overcame the world. I mean, think about the way that the world does things. Against, uh, uh, he was standing against this idea of vengeance, tit for tat, violence, cycle of sins. He was going no. He was turning. He turned the other cheek. He wore the crown of thorns. He went to the cross to pay for the sins of, the, of his enemies, the people who are crucifying him. He showed us that a new and different kingdom has come into this world with him. A new and different way of life had arrived when Jesus came. He showed us that by going to the cross. And overcoming the world here means not following the patterns that are set by the, by the world, but being transformed and renewed in our minds that we follow Jesus and his way of living that is radically different from the way that the world lives. And only those who trust that Jesus really is the Son of God, that only those who trust that Jesus really is King, only those who trust that Jesus will come back in this world, will live like him. Only if we believe that Jesus has overcome the world, we will follow him as our king. If we believe that Jesus is king and not the idols of this world, then we will follow him because we believe that the world, this world, is not the ultimate world, that there is a new kingdom coming. Our value will be different. How we will live will be different. How we will spend time and money will be different. We won't look for the approval of the people and the world, but we will look for the approval of the only one that matters, our king. We will obey Jesus as our Lord and not be enslaved to the idols of this world. We do this in faith, 
because Jesus wore the crown of king and he said that this, he is God, he is king. That uh, he will usher in a time when his kingdom will come in its fullness. That our way of life will have been vindicated when he comes back. It's hard, I know. It's hard also because we're forgetful people. We forget that Jesus is king. So you must do what um, um, a friend uh, of mine does uh, when she wakes up every day. You must wake up and then go, you know, Jesus is king over this world. You must wake up and say to yourself, I'm going to follow him today because he is the one who overcame the world. He is the one who is reigning over this world even now. And finally, we've been going from the bottom of this passage and up as we're coming up to the beginning of this passage. We find that if we really trust that Jesus is our king, that we will love like him as well. We will love like him. Remember how John ended last week's passage in chapter 4, that Christian love for our brothers and sisters is inevitable. And he writes today, that everyone who believes that Jesus is, Christ, uh, Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everybody who loves the Father loves his child, uh, children as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is the love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Partly, John thinks that his commands are not burdensome because we are born again. We are transformed. Our desires are transformed, and we come to love God. Love God and obey him not out of fear, but out of love as children of God. But John also says that we don't find it burdensome um, because of verse 4. Because everyone born of God overcame the world, overcomes the world. He connects our loving God to overcoming the world in faith. And really, I can't think of a better example um, than the school shooting that happened in Lancaster County in the U.S. Uh, in 2006, October 2006. The world was outraged um, when a shooter who was angry at God came to an Amish schoolhouse, bound uh, these 10 young girls, had them face the chalkboard, and shot them one by one. But then what happened afterwards amazed the world as well. This is a writer talking about this Amish community's forgiveness. He writes, I think the most powerful demonstration of the depth of Amish forgiveness was when the members of the Amish community went to the killer's burial service at the cemetery. Several families, Amish families, who had buried their own daughters just before the day, uh, just, just the day before, were in attendance, and they hugged the widow and hugged the other members of the killer's family. I have some pictures there. The, the Amish uh, community... The parents of the uh, parents of the girls who were killed went to the killer's um, funeral. They offered forgiveness, and they, they 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 hugged the members of the killer's family. Later on, that Amish community pulled together and donated money to the killer's family because they too had lost their husband. They too lost had lost lost their father. But if you ask them, how could you do that? Well, they tell, they'll tell you that they didn't invent the notion of forgiveness. They would say that they were simply following Jesus and his way of life. How he suffered willingly at the hands of his enemies to love them. 
They might quote Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them, the other cheek also. They might quote them when Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, but my kingdom is from another place. Or they might quote Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You see, Jesus died, but he rose again. And he is going to come back in glory. And they, the Amish community, have become a people of hope. People um, who knew that their children were with Christ. That they might grieve, but they didn't have to grieve as those who do not have hope, as Paul puts it in, um, in his letter to Thessalonica. And it's because they are people of hope. Because they trusted in the one who has overcome death, overcome this world. Because he rose again and they trusted that Jesus reigns as king now, that he will come back in the future, they could go and forgive. They could go and love. Like him. Faith and love are related, aren't they? But it has to be the right faith. It has to be faith in Jesus Christ who gives us eternal life. Faith in the one who has overcome the world. Faith in the one who allows us to hope and to love like him. So dear friends, let us love. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes this world. And it's only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God overcome the world.